Inside the outdoors on this Saturday morning, winter has returned. Yes, indeed. Just to let us know that we're still in January, because lest you forget and think we may be in March or April or whatever from the last couple of weeks. Now we're here, uh, and uh, and you know if you're out snowmobiling, if you're uh, ice fishing, you're quite happy about winter. For those of us who are getting older, we're sick of it already. Okay, so. <laughs> The good news for you guys is, yeah, snow and ice. And the bad news for the rest of us is the same thing. I loved it when it rained. You know, when it rained down here and snowed in the mountains, we had enough water and we got enough moisture. And that's great because you don't shovel rain. But... um who knows? What the heck? Hey, listen, this is a show today. Got a great show coming up. Uh, joined in studio by a very special guest. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about ATVs and all things ATV from the state perspective. Uh, we're going to talk about how the actions of some have cost us over three, uh, $300,000, almost $400,000 as sportsmen here in the state because, uh, because some of us can't abide by the rules. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, we'll also talk snowmobiling. As is appropriate, especially uh, with the, with this weather, and we'll talk fishing with George Summer as we usually do. Plus, Gary Winterton is gone. He is in Brazil filming his show. You know, last week it was uh, Lake Baccarat in uh, in Mexico. Now it's Brazil for peacock bass. Um, I don't know. Wh- whatever I did, I'm on the wrong side of this job. I can tell you that. But anyway, Gary is not here, so we'll just have to tell you what his show is going to be tonight on uh, on um, Hooked on Utah. That's it's KUTV Channel 2, 1105, right after talking sports. Okay, so we got that stuff out of the way. Let's welcome our special guest, who is Chris Hallard, the uh, head of the ATV program for the state of Utah, the Division of Wildlife Resources, and from the um, and from state parks. Uh, Chris is a guy who, uh, well, he's got his finger on the pulse of everything that's going on with the ATV community. He's laughing over there like, yes, you do, and you're going to get blamed as well as credit for everything. We are in great shape in this state, I think, from an ATV standpoint. We've got more and more trails that are being opened. We're getting more of them widened. Uh, so you can use those side-by-sides and not have to worry quite so much about the 50-inch. Um, and we've got the legislature coming up, which Chris told me before we went on the air this morning that um, we don't have too much to worry about. So I think that's great news. Chris, welcome to the show. Nice to have you back. I know you know the drill. Um, let's just talk about what's going on. Well, thank you so much, and thanks for the listeners tuning in this morning. It's a pleasure to be here and always an honor. And, and, and like you had mentioned, hey, some of us that get a little older, <laughs> we uh, we have a tendency of, 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 of enjoying the snow up in the mountains because we never hurt our backs shoveling that's sunshine. Right. And so uh, those that are in the snowmobile community, they're, they're praising right now. <laughs> And, I, and I'm right there along with them. Well, and that's great. I, You know, listen, I, I love uh, to get out and snowmobile. I enjoy it. Um, as long as it stays in the mountains, it's terrific. But, you know, I've had too many days when I've got to shovel that driveway. And that's why I bought the side-by-side and put the plow on it right now. So, folks, if you're looking for a good excuse to get that ATV or side-by-side, you know, you can sell the other half of the equation, perhaps your significant other, that uh, maybe the driveway will get plowed a little more frequently if, if one of those is in your future. Um, I, I characterize things as pretty mellow as far as the uh, as far as the uh, uh, legislature is concerned, and the, starting it up in a couple of weeks, accurate. 
Very accurate. I think, uh, you know, uh, God rest his soul, Fred Hayes let it, let, left us in a very comfortable position, both division and also off-highway vehicle program-wise. And we've had some recent legislation that's been uh, supported by our, our uh, astute colleagues up there and, and our elected officials, both on the representative side and also the Senate side, that's increased the um, um, income going to the restricted fund of the off-highway vehicle account which is in turn directly given right back on the ground for projects and infrastructure. You know, over the last couple of years, obviously, we had a situation where now we've got uh, street legal around the state. We've got all the, the, the uh, counties in compliance now. We finally had to maybe bend the arm a little bit of Salt Lake County and use the threat of money being withheld. But even they came uh, knuckled under finally. So, I mean, from an OHV community, we can utilize our machines out on the road as well as out on the trail. I mean, I mean, it certainly has added to uh, just, I guess, the efficiency and everything else and the fun of having OHVs. Absolutely. And I think you coined that exactly right, Steve, is, is hey, this is about having fun. And, and not that we're not taking anything serious with accidents and injuries, but relatively speaking, this provides a lot of great access, especially for our rural communities. And as, as most of us travel around the state, we understand that, hey, here along the Wasatch Front, we have a tendency of seeing bikes and stuff at, at at high schools and junior highs, but it's a way of life for our folks in and around the rural part of the state to have ATVs and UTVs in those in those junior highs and high schools. And so, you know, some of the great things that we're, we're working with individually on the counties, like you have alluded to, we're working with six different counties to uh, create the high desert trail system. Now, this was a, uh, a, a project that was proposed by a previous OHV advisory council member out of Washington. Washington County. That original proposal only took in Washington, uh, Iron, and also Beaver County. But now we've we've proceeded forward in moving and including Millard, Juab, and Tooele County. So the goal there is for a person, maybe here along the Wasatch Front, to go to go down and see Grandma uh, <laughs> when the weather is decent in the West Desert and experience that. So just just a very unique uh, opportunity working with those six wonderful counties. You know, uh, just the expansion of the opportunity. Opportunity. I think I bought my first uh, ATV back when uh, Suzuki came up with the uh, f- the first four wheel uh, ATV from the from the, what had been tricycles only with uh, with Honda getting it started. Uh, so that's clear back in the early '80s. And the number of trails that we have f- now compared to what we had back then, I mean, it's amazing. Yes, it's been 40 years, 35 years, but to look at the growth has been astronomical and the financial boon that has been to this state from sales tax of of uh, vehicles to just um, uh, you know property taxes and registration has been huge it, it has been it's been a contributing factor and and want to give a lot of recognition to those uh, people that have uh, so to speak done the blood sweat and tears to lay the foundation out in front of us uh, both on on the government side of things uh, I know there is that and and have a clear understanding that sometimes we we dislike government but I can hear honestly say that that without that mutual partnership out of our program we wouldn't have this unique opportunity that we have for motorized recreation around the state and i'm also a found a firm believer that's the cornerstone of of any off-highway vehicle enthusiast is that utah is is extremely well sought after there are some things we have to worry about a little bit i mean at the federal level for example uh you know allowing allowing uh side-by-sides for and and uh four-wheelers on our roads in 
national parks. That's obviously something that there's a certain segment of the society out there that is vehemently opposed to, and they've they've made their uh, points clear. But we do have a friendly administration, it seems. That uh, so where where are we with that? As far as the, and I know it's not the state's purview; it's really the federal. But where are we in terms of usage in state uh, or in national parks, rather on on highway? If you if you have a legal, um, you know, on highway highway use uh, permit, like like you alluded to, Steve, is that hey, a, a number of our national parks are around this state, and I believe throughout the country, do not recognize them as being motor vehicles. Well, here at the state, uh, I'd like to come back and say, at, we have 44 state parks, and we allow street legal vehicle use in 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 all of our 44 state parks, and we've had very very little incidences occur. People that that have generally gone through that that process of, of registering them as street legal are people that want to do the right thing. And generally, that's what um, what we've come to find out is that people within our community and, and in other aspects of recreation, they want to do the, the correct thing. And and every once in a while, we have those bad apples. And, and that that's in any form. And sometimes in government, we also don't champion or express to them how they should have fun. So we're, we're probably part of the problem as well. And and so I, I think it's just wonderful. You know, the state's view or, or the OHV program's view is these are now passenger cars for all intents and purposes. Right. They're le- they, they are inspected. I mean, they, they're, they're paid for. The same people who pay for the roads now pay an increased price to make them street legal. And so um, why not use them? I, I know it's a, it's one of those philosophical arguments. I doubt we'll ever get 100% agreement on it. But it seems like we're moving in the right direction, especially for those of us in the OHV community that that have hoped for this uh, for a long time. Yeah. And there's a there's a lot of good organizations out there, nonprofit organizations like the Utah OHV Advocates, along with the Utah ATV Association. Um, uh, uh, um, I'm forgetting their name. Uh, the Oh, Bud Bruding's group. Okay, me. yes. Yeah, UTV Utah, excuse right. me. And so those those organizations have, have obviously voiced their opinions. And that's really what, you know, it, it can only come from a large group of people at times and not not necessarily just one individual. So my hat goes off to them to, to be championing that cause. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point is many times those of us who want the off-road experience, and I think outdoorsmen in general, one of the reasons we enjoy the outdoors so much is because it gets us away from from people and and large groups and yet the irony of that is unless you band together your voice sometimes gets drowned out by the other um, highly effective groups that get a lot of outside money a lot of outside the state money uh, and yet they make a a lot of noise and so they find themselves with an awful lot of um, maybe influence that they don't have from sheer numbers so it is important whether you join a group or at least you join the uh, the philosophy of a group and let people know at the state and at the national level how you feel about an, an issue and uh, and that's how things get done absolutely i mean that's that's the cornerstone like you've alluded to of what our great country is is based upon and so you know that freedom of speech and the opportunity to say hey here's something i believe in this is something that my grandparents did or the people before me ha- have done and participated in and, and it should be one of those that we recognize and so you know going back to, uh, a little bit to seeing our sport grow and, and stuff is that 
that we've uh, we've actually seen about a, a 5,000 number of increase of off-highway vehicles here in 2019. We moved from uh, 202 to over 207,000. Wow. So um, I think what we're seeing uh, along that same line, Steve, and, and to the listener out there is that, hey, a number of us travel around the state and we see a lot of UTVs going up and down. <laughs> and, and, and the invention of those, um, I believe, have taken a little bit of, of the registration away. So those numbers remained a little stagnant. And and But what, what we're seeing is is the older population being more comfortable, uh, retired people, grandparents, et cetera, they're able to still do those family activities. And it is a social sport. I'm also a firm believer that that the the grandkids, which were two or three years old at, yeah. at the time, Can about five operate. years ago, <laughs> now they're at that exactly. They're at that age to operate. I I also believe and have heard through through the industry is that um, off highway motorcycle sales have increased roughly about seventeen percent across the state. So that is an indication that those kids about five years ago who are at the age of riding, the investment is being made in an off highway motorcycle, which is minimal. You know, you can pick one up for a, for a pretty good price. And it's also allowing them to enter into a competitive sport environment, not necessarily right. a team environment. So I, I think we're at the next level of where we're going to see this OHV growth uh, come with, with responsible ridership, probably through more of an individual. So it's almost like we're going to go back to the three-wheeler yeah. stage. Yeah, the day when it was a single passenger vehicle and, and everything else, which seems so far in the rearview mirror, it's, it's crazy. But the good thing, I mean, the state of Utah has got such national and international notoriety for our ability to provide riding. I mean, we are truly, truly spoiled in this state as far as the diversity of our terrain from desert to mountain to, I mean, everything in between, you name it. Um, it's just a matter of protecting this. And, and that is going to be an ongoing battle, it looks like. Yeah. And it, it's it's one of those things that, hey, we got to rely on those individual owners and the, and the uh, uh, local entities and the clubs to, to come together and make sure that they they voice their opinion appropriately. Let me let me take you a little beyond. I mean, if there's anything we are, I guess, at odds with uh, surrounding states, it may be the reciprocal privileges. And I know that's that, that's something that you guys get hit with all the time from the state. But it really is. You can't control what goes on in other states as to whether or not a vehicle that is registered and licensed in one state is going to be um, respected in another. And we do have, I mean, surrounding states, we do have some differences, don't we, in terms of the ability to ride on the road or even uh, to recognize the registration from Utah to some of the other states around us. Yes, and and that's one of those things that, that like you said, hey, we can't control what, what our surrounding states do. And so there was that, that um, you know, the, the, the reciprocity has been around or the non-resident permit has been around for over 22 years. So it's not a new law, so to speak. However, some of our adjoining and neighboring states have decided, hey, through their own legislative process and maybe um, lack of funding or whatever those reasons are, which I have no idea about, they've decided to implement a non-resident fee. They'd so, like our money. Yeah, well, they, <laughs> you, yeah. you want to come right in. What states do we have to deal with that now? So we have, you have have uh, historically for for a number of years we've had Colorado and Wyoming Idaho depends upon the machine uh, Nevada depends upon the number of days Arizona and of course New Mexico uh, on that small little sliver we we did have reciprocity with them and 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 what what we've what we noticed is that um, 
on it's very very confusing to the general public that's coming in from outside the state and we're trying what we our ultimate goal was to create this a very user-friendly thing that hey if you're going to ride in utah um we're requesting that you have a non-resident permit that 30 dollars goes right back on the ground for infrastructure trail maintenance mapping all those items associated with a trail experience and and so um that has allowed this to to populate to continue to make our great trail system exactly what it is today and and continue to improve that and it alleviates confusion amongst the general public but now because of of street legal in some states and and in utah and then other states don't recognize that there is a confusion that exists there so the non-resident permit is applicable just to off-highway vehicles so if your home state has a plate on it then that that entails it that it's a street legal machine so you're okay it's not applicable you don't need to buy the the in the non-resident permit now if we're going out of state is that reciprocity the same for example any of those states you mentioned if you have a street legal vehicle in utah are you street legal and are you um are you trail legal in those other states that is something that we would encourage the the uh people leaving utah we want them to stay here yes we want them to spend spend money in their home state obviously but we've all heard those stories where hey you know i'm from utah and the best writings in idaho (laughs) and then you talk to idaho folks the best writings in utah so you know we we have that that kind of that that competition that takes place but i would encourage uh listeners to to check to make sure what are those bordering state requirements uh and and some states allow it and some do not and and we don't have any influence with those other bordering states as you look forward Forward. Uh, you see the growth obviously continues uh, here in the state of Utah with numbers of people that are involved in it. Doesn't really show any signs, does it, of, uh, of decreasing? People seem to more and more, if anything, because of the youth coming up and they were associated with it, introduced as, as really young. Um, and then the older people who see it as a way to get around. It's a great thing to pull it with your RV or whatever. And when you get to a campground, be able to get around. You see it uh, with with growth, but with growth comes problems, obviously, too. Absolutely. Or challenges, maybe. Y- yes, and, and I think a lot of those challenges, uh, I would I would redirect those back to our rural counties. Um, you know, we're, we're seeing a, an increase of, of recreation across the state uh, and, and a lot of crossover. So we have people that, that will um, use motorized opportunities for three or four days, and then they might go fishing, or, and then they might utilize that as, as a hunting experience as well and so we're seeing that growth and and what's what's happening is is i think some of our infrastructure has been lagging behind we haven't been able to catch up to that and so with some of this um um, funding that we've received through registration increases we're hoping to help facilitate that and to try to maintain the the steady hand and course to develop those infrastructure needs in in san juan county uh, one example is is we we've upgraded the restroom facility there at the hook and ladder and and in king county we were able to provide three restroom facilities there uh at at pick at at peekaboo elephant cove and johnson canyon which we also know has has multiple use there yeah is that is that your biggest challenge do you think is is infrastructure right now is that the one thing that as you look ahead that you would say i we've got to deal with it right away and it's going to continue to be an issue for us i i do and and the reason why i say that is because uh, we we really rely on 
our 29 counties. Uh, they are obviously the mecca and the strong point of where a lot of those trails originate from. I would also come back and say probably from a rider's perspective, they're wanting expanded parking lots. They're wanting more new trails. And and and, and knowing the, the limited land base that we have and some of those challenges that we face with travel management plans and such, I think it's it's let's focus on what we have in order to maintain that. And then secondly, let's do look at increasing some of those trailheads because the machines that are towing and hauling and being utilized are larger than what they historically were 10 to 15 years ago. Yeah, you got to find a place to park them when you when you offload, right? Absolutely, yes. How concerned are you with with um, the interface with the feds on this? I mean, obviously, you do what you can at the state level, but a lot of it's federal land, and a lot of it depends on federal travel study plans and things of that nature, and we all know that there are some very vocal anti-groups that are out there and well-funded as well, uh, but things like what happened in Emory County and, and things of that nature, how concerned from a state standpoint are you about that? And and really, where, where do you fit in that process? What can you do to influence it? So, you know, it's always always a concern when some of those items come up and hopefully that we can work collectively together in order to find a good balance. Um, you know, multiple use is, is one of those items that we try to, to work hand in hand with. And and so, um, one of the one of the proactive measures I think that we're taking is, is for example, in, in DAG County in Uinta County and also Duchesne counties is we're, we're working on developing a, a motorized trail plan which is either adopted by the county commissioners or incorporated in the county resource management plans and I I think that's a it's a very grassroots level process to start at because those local areas have those relationships with those federal entities and and I also um, believe that that if there is a local plan that's adopted, those federal entities or agencies will respect that rather than, so to speak, it's something that's drawn on the back of a napkin. Yeah, um, is that hey, this is an adopted plan, and there is vision and foresight uh, in order to to implement some of those items that have been suggested. It's got to be, and also, our, our from a congressional standpoint, I know you have to work very closely with representatives, and that changes over the years as election cycles come and go sometimes you have friendlier people there to the philosophy of outdoors than others and i'm sure that's a constant uh, that's a constant battle as well so i'm not going to throw you under the bus obviously and, and make you say anything you don't want to say but uh, but i know that that has to be a challenge to to maintain that ability to interface and to relate to those people who take our message back to washington i, I think i think they've done they've done a, a wonderful job uh they've they've they, I believe a high percentage of them understand how important of an economic, uh, sorry about this pun, drive engine <laughs> motorized recreation is and the importance of overall recreation is to the state of Utah. And and so I, I, I commend them because they, they've they've been doing a, a very good job and, and they have they've uh, pushed in some, some areas to, to make some really good progress. And in some areas they haven't been able to get everything that maybe what we would have liked to have 
have have them gotten. So I think they've they have done a wonderful job representing us. Hey, Chris, so have you. And it's uh, always great to have you here. Um, we really appreciate you keeping us up on it. And you know, again, from a, from a user standpoint, thank you. And I'm sure that uh, that the majority of people in the state feel the same way. We are truly blessed not only to have the the federal support that we're getting and seem to be getting, but really from a state standpoint, a guy who's in charge who says, I'm going to be proactive about pushing our agenda and and making sure that we get our money's worth. So thank you. Well, thank you. And I, I, you know, I, I've got the opportunity to sit in this position, but it is your program. Uh, I just have the opportunity to, to be a representative. So thank you. Well, you're doing a great job with my program. I'll guarantee you that. Hey, listen, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with more as our Inside the Outdoors continues. Stick around. Back again inside the outdoors on this Saturday morning. Hope you're having a good one. Hope you like the snow because I guess we, we're getting it and we got it and uh, there'll be some more of it on the horizon. So it does have an effect on what we're doing. Uh, George Summer joins us who had a chance to get out this past weekend, maybe fought the elements a little bit. And uh, I can hardly wait to find out if he caught any fish. George, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. And yourself? I'm doing all right. I'm doing okay. I'm still, uh, you know, adjusting to the actual January weather in January. But other than that, I'm doing okay. Did you, when you were out this week, did you have to fight weather? Or did you get uh, one of those days when the weather was still pretty decent? I, I went when the weather was awesome. Good. Um, which was, I mean, you can't beat the, the type of, uh, you know, where I was at. Yep. The scenery was great. The weather was awesome. I was a fishing. Wind wasn't blowing. Well, the fishing was a bit challenging. <laughs> um, and, and, the, and I guess the worst part about it was is I could see fish rolling yep. about twice as far out as I could cast. Uh-oh. So I couldn't quite get to them. But, you know, I did see a lot of people, you know, in boats out catching fish. And and so I know the fishing's good. I just... I just didn't want to get out in the boat. And All right, so let me guess. Let's see. If you, you weren't fishing, obviously you weren't fishing in a boat. You were on the shore, and the water was soft. You could still boat on it. So my guess is you were in Deer, at Deer Creek. I was. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's, and, a, that's a good one. But, you know, you could have got uh, Jordan L too, because there's no ice at Jordan Yeah, that's either. true. That's true. But it, it was tough fishing from the bank, I guess, huh? It was, you know, and, and like I say, I could see him rolling out there. Just, just I couldn't get to him, and so, uh, but it was a, it was a beautiful day, and and uh, so I thought, you know, I, I walked probably, I probably did about a mile down the bank, and, and no fish, so I, I packed it in. I thought, well, I'll go fish the the river. I'll go fish the middle Provo. <laughs> Apparently, everybody else had the same idea. So there, there was not a spot to park. Um, Really, so, but it, I mean, the conditions were awesome, and then, and then, of course, later in the week, guess what? We get we get snow. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you, we knew it was coming. I guess it was just a matter of when. So my guess is you were there either Monday or Tuesday. You must have been up uh, on the uh, on the lake. I was. It was Tuesday, and and uh, you know, it's it was like forty. I want to say thirty eight degrees at Deer Creek. Yeah. Um, but it was forty down in in uh, Orem. You know, going up there, and and uh, I mean, it was just absolutely fantastic. It was clear, the water was clear, um, you know, but the fishing wasn't quite there yet. Um, so, but uh, you know, I think next time, uh, I mean, if I go to Deer Creek, I get to go on a boat. But I think next time I'm going to go ice fishing because I'm starting to hear lots and lots of good reports on ice fishing. 
Where where are you hearing the best? The best would probably be Schofield. Oh, okay. um, for trout. Yeah, Schofield's doing really well. But you know, people if you can find the fish at Echo, um, they're they're doing uh, decent on perch. Uh, Manaway. Uh, now Manaway's been. Uh, I, I talked to a bunch of people. They didn't catch any fish. I talked to a bunch of people. They whacked the perch. So it's it's kind of a. I think it's probably you got to be in the right spot at the right time. Um, for Manaway. I'm hearing the but, same uh, thing for Echo, too, that uh, that Echo's, yeah. some people are getting skunked and other people are just loading, uh, loading the ice with fish. Oh, I guess I guess that's fishing, right? No matter where you go. But mm-hmm. those two places in particular, they seem to be real finicky right now. Exactly. You know, and if you can find them, you'll catch them. The challenge for everybody is, is finding them right now. So, um, I, you know, I think that'll probably... Um, mellow out a little bit uh, as we get further into the ice season. But, uh, you know, and then that, a bunch of other places will open up at that point. And, and I'm anxious for Deer Creek to actually freeze because you know, I want to go find those bluegill that you caught earlier. Yeah, well, I, I can tell you where they were, but I'm, I'm sure they've moved around a little bit now. But I'd sure like to find them again when the ice, uh, either when the ice comes on Deer Creek or uh, while it's still soft water, because they, boy, they make as we all know, they make great tacos. They do. Yep, yep, great fish tacos. So, but you know, uh, East Canyon's coming on. Rockport, I've heard sketchy reports on ice thickness so you know i am not uh, i'm not that brave yet so i'll wait till i hear good solid reports on ice on on rockport but uh um i'm trying to think i know there was somewhere else in my mind but you know that's what happens when you get old you have these <laughs> thoughts and then they go away that's right well you never get bored because you never have the same thought uh, lasting too long correct <laughs> yeah, yeah you're always chasing now what was that that right that's you know? right absolutely all right. Well, listen, George. Uh, so, if you were going to recommend this week, uh, it sounds like you'd recommend Deer Creek in a boat, <laughs> but not on Correct. the shore. Um, yep. may, maybe the Middle Provo, although uh, that's going to be obviously weather related as well, weather dependent. It might be a little tough getting some access now with the snow that we're having and going to have in the uh, coming days. Um, Schofield, you would still say is one of your one of your places to that, head. That'd, that'd be my top pick in Schofield. Um, right now, oh, I did uh, one of the other places. I, I know what it was. Um, See, I was buying you. Down, I, was, I was buying you time. Now you got it. Down south, I went to Farron. Oh, okay. And I'm guessing you had to, you had to snowmobile into Farron, but he caught. Um, he caught. He only caught three fish. He was only there for a little while, but they were between 17 and 21 inches. Wow, they were brook trout. Very nice. All yeah. right, so you, you've got plenty of choices out there, folks, if you want to do it. You're still waiting for ice, obviously, on Jordan Hill and on Deer Creek, but there's ice to be had. Uh, be careful of Rockport. Well, be careful wherever you go right now. I mean, there's good ice on several reservoirs, but uh, I think it's still one of those uh, uh, beware a little bit because it could be sketchy, especially areas that have a lot of spring action in them. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, we want everybody to be safe, so... Uh so we all can continue fishing. All right, my friend. Well, thanks. Uh, get out and enjoy the uh, enjoy the week again and see if you can't snag a few for us. Uh, I mean that figuratively, obviously, not literally. And uh, and, yeah. and let us know by next Saturday what's going on, okay? Most certainly. Thanks, all right, Steve. All right, George. Thanks very much. 
That's George Summer with uh, with his fish report. Uh, normally, we would play Gary's music right now and bring Gary in, but we're not going to do that because Gary is out and about. He is uh, he is in Brazil filming yet another of his international shows, hooked on Utah via Brazil. Uh, last week, of course, it was Lake Bacharach in Mexico, um, but this week he will be joining us tonight via tape from the TNT Indoor Gun Range down in Murray, and he's got some automatic. Weapons, you know, I don't know. Gary Winterton behind an automatic weapon just gives me pause. Okay, uh, they've also got the indoor clay range there. Um, it's actually it's the first of its kind in the United States. Uh, really cool. So uh, that will be Gary's show hooked on Utah tonight, eleven oh five. Talking sports right uh, right after talking sports rather on KUTV channel two. So be sure and join him there. Um, he's uh, again. I can't wait to hear the uh, Brazilian stories. The the thing is, he's able to back him up with some video and that's one of the things but to me Brazil looks great I think it'd be a lot of fun I know he's going to be catching those huge peacock bass among other things I mean I've never seen such toothy critters in my life as to what's available in the Amazon so I know that that program is coming up in the next couple of weeks but tonight indoor gun range and that's at 1105 right after talking sports on KUTV channel 2 when we come back we're going to be talking about how the state of Utah is in arrears almost $400,000 because of the actions of some and we're going to talk snowmobiling up north stick around and welcome back everybody inside the outdoors on this saturday morning in winter boy it has returned there's no question about it i guess for a while we were thinking we were going to be uh Escape the winter, but uh, not going to happen. I, I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to talk to you about how uh, the actions of a few, and I guess it's more than a few, cost us over $300,000 this past year. Um, because uh, over, uh, well, I guess 1,050 animals illegally taken in the state of Utah back in 2019, which is up a little bit from the uh, the year before, but it cost sportsmen $386,000, actually over $386,000 by the time the uh, all was added up and everything was uh, put to paper. Chad Betridge, who was one of the uh, DWR sergeants uh, involving, involving law enforcement, is going to uh, join us. In fact, he joins us right now uh, to talk a little bit about this problem. Chad, uh, first of all, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for the invitation. I appreciate it. Let's let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, I mean, 1,050 uh, wildlife illegal kills in Utah back in, in 2019. Now, that's down, I guess, a little bit from 2018 uh, in terms of the uh, while the totals were up, the, the numbers were um, were were down just a little in terms of dollar. But the monetary values that you've uh, attached to these things, it's certainly a lot of money. I mean, we are we are out hundreds of thousands of dollars because of the actions of a few that, that, that's correct and interestingly enough the value that's placed on on the the, the different species it, it actually comes through the legislature okay it's the utah code that these animals are are valued the way they are so uh, you look at these, for example, and, and people say, well, how do you fix the value? Like you said, the legislature does that. But a trophy fish is $25, but a trophy elk is valued at $8,000. I mean, that's a, a phenomenal amount of money, obviously. And then various other animals and species are valued differently. The bottom line is um, it's an awful lot of money that it costs to replace that from the division standpoint. And that, that's coming out of a state budget and division and sportsman's dollars. 
That's correct. We, uh, we, we appreciate everybody who goes out and buys licenses and participates in these activities. Uh, we understand it does uh, cost, cost money to buy these tags, but that money is put to good purposes and, and to care for the the, the wildlife here in Utah. Yeah, you've got, uh, I mean, the numbers are kind of staggering. Violations, uh, DWRCOs last year, 3,525 violations. Now, that's down compared to almost 4,000 in 2018. Uh, talk to me about the reasons for that. What um, what are some of the reasons the violations changed from 18 to 19? One of the major reasons that I can that I think is uh, we, we did have a, quite a few vacancies uh, in our agency, so quite a few uh, officer districts were were left without an officer in them. So, so uh, neighboring officers had to to kind of pick up where where those vacancies were. So we were stretched a little thin in 2019. Since then, we're we're in the process of hiring uh, eight new officers. They're in post right now, uh, and they'll be ready to go this summer. So it may not be that we've actually done better. It just that fewer got caught, perhaps in 2019. Possible. Uh, it is. It is important to know that that our the compliance rate in Utah, as far as the the individuals who go out and participate in hunting and fishing activities, uh, we have a ninety five percent compliance rate, which is good. So honestly. most everybody in the state goes out and and and, and follows the law. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's obviously great. That 5% is the worry, and especially when you've got the kind of dollar uh, amounts attached to it. But but as far as the percentage is concerned, it's, it's good to hear that we've got that kind of compliance. It is. It is. And, uh, yeah, most people go out and, and, and do do things the right way, and, and we appreciate the, the efforts that the, the public puts forth and, and regarding the hunting and, and fishing stuff. Now, not every kill or, or not every violation is uh, results in a citation, however, correct? Correct. Because there correct. are accidents that people accidentally shoot um, the wrong animal or whatever, and those things factor into the, into the mix. Uh, for sure. There's a lot of times somebody goes out and uh, makes a mistake, and if they are, are, are willing to, to contact us and to kind of explain the situation, there are times where those mistakes will lead still to a citation. It will be a, a lesser violation, mm-hmm. and then, but there are often times where it will be a warning or something like that. Uh, we do appreciate it when people... Uh, call and turn themselves in for yeah. a mistake made. Yeah, I think attitude goes a long way. I, I mean, I, I'm looking at the numbers of those violations. 526 citations were issued, uh, but there was over a thousand different um, animals uh, taken or fish taken. So, yeah, not everybody is going to be cited, and I think that's something that uh, maybe sportsmen need to be aware of. And even if you are, um, unless it's something that is egregious and and uh, you know, there's a difference between an accidental uh, mistake anybody who's who's been out in uh, in the outdoors any extended period of time probably has a chance of making a mistake uh, I mean we've had it at the highest levels um, of state government too it happens uh, but I guess the attitude is what really what really is the the determining factor there I, I agree with you 100 uh, percent you know there's there are some people who go out there and intentionally break a law yeah and those are the people that we we try our hardest to 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 find and 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 stop from doing that but uh, a lot of these violations are are mistakes that are made and and either didn't know what the rule was or just just 
made a bad choice. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, you guys do a great job, and obviously uh, it hurts to see almost $400,000 worth of value be taken out of uh, something that could be, I mean, that'd be a heck of a project for whether it's habitat restoration or fisheries or whatever that has to go to replace the, uh, you know, the, the illegal taking of wildlife. So, um, you know, it's money out of the coffers that could be used, obviously, for much more beneficial use uh, if we would just be more compliant. So um, we thank you for the job you guys do. And again, uh, hopefully this is a good time of year to maybe uh, have everybody check out the new proclamations, make sure that you're that you're uh, you're going to be legal and you're in the right areas and doing the right thing. And um, and hopefully, you know, it'll make life easier for you guys. And certainly it'll make life easier for the sportsmen as well. So, Chad, thanks. Uh, we appreciate you being here and kind of making us aware of a what what's happened in the past and maybe as we go ahead to be a little more vigilant about it. I appreciate the opportunity to come on. Thank you very much. Take care. All right, let's talk about uh, snowmobiling. You know, we started talking about the snow at the tar- start of this program and how the snowmobiler is going to love it. I got a guy on the phone who uh, is definitely loving it, Roger Eggett from the uh, Bear River Lodge way up north, up uh, up uh, Logan Canyon. And I am sure that you have loved this last couple of days, Roger. Good to talk to you again. Nice talking to you. Yeah, the snow this year has turned out to be great. It just keeps coming down. Well, I'll tell you one thing, and and I've said it to you before, so this is not just for the benefit of of the on-air audience, but I think I probably had the best day snowmobiling I've ever had the couple of days when we stayed up there at the lodge and then got out. You've got that northern area of the state is some of the most spectacular snowmobiling footage uh, that we're ever going to get from a visual standpoint and just uh, the experience. It was wonderful from mountains, trails to uh, wide open meadows. It's absolutely spectacular. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of great riding, and a lot of people aren't familiar with the Uintas, and they don't realize they can get to us by just going up to Evanston and coming south on the Mirror Lake Highway. Yep. And we're year-round access. They think, well, it's closed up through Camas, and it's not. It, I mean, it is closed through Camas, but you can get to us by going through Evanston and coming up into the Uintas through that side. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's wonderful uh, in terms of just the ability to to experience the kind of snow you have there. Because again, the variety of terrain is is. Uh, I think a lot of people are very surprised. You know, they hear the Uintas and they think, well, it's wilderness. You can't snowmobile there. Obviously, you can. Yeah, you know, the riding is for everybody, too. And like you said, they groom the Mirror Lake Highway twice a week from Camas to our side on the Evanston side. So if you like trail riding, there's plenty of groomed riding. You can go up over Bald Mountain. You can go down to Mirror Lake. And if you like to get off the trails, it's fantastic. There's so much off-trail riding that you can do. Uh, my favorite riding area is the Whitney riding area. There's a ranger station up there where you can get in and get out of the weather if you need to. And the riding is just spectacular. It's just incredible it is a lot of fun talk to us uh, about equipment because that's the another thing is that you guys uh, are are on the cutting edge of equipment it's not one of these places you go where you're going to get 10 year old snowmobiles you know that's funny you said that because i just had a guy contact me from another rental location he said hey do you have any old clunkers because you know these are just going to be rentals <laughs> no. i said well <laughs> we buy we buy between 60 and 80 snowmobiles per year and we run only the newest equipment and this year we've added some really fun things we I know you know this, but we've started adding the Yamaha snow bikes, and that is so much fun yep. to hop on a dirt bike. You pull the wheels off, put a ski <laughs> on the front, put a track on the back, 
and we're running those this year, and then we run the side-by-sides with tracks. We, our side-by-sides are nicer than a lot of trucks and mm-hmm. cars. You know, they have the hard doors, they have the electric windows, they have heaters, windshields, windshield wipers, and we throw tracks on them, and people can take those out with families. They seat six people. Uh, I take my grandkids out in them. We can put car seats in them. They're heated. It's just awesome. It's a great way to go see the forest. So tell people how they can, uh, I know you've got a great website. They can see what's available there as well, but uh, uh, how do they get a hold of you? What's the best way? They can either go to bearriverlodge.com or go to Trax Power Sports, T-R-A-X Powersports.com. And if they don't want to come clear to the UNS and come see us, which is only a two-hour drive, go pick up a machine in our Bountiful shop or our Morgan shop or our Provo shop, and you can do all that at TraxPowerSports.com. Well, see, and that's easy. So there's no reason not to be able to do that. Um, and, Roger, it's, uh, it's good to talk to you. I'm glad you're getting snow, obviously, and uh, it's going to make for a great season up there. Yeah, Steve, come on up, and I'll take you for a ride. And when I get stuck, you can help me dig out. <laughs> Thanks a heck of a lot. I got a feeling, listen, we'll take the side-by-side with tracks. You're never going to get stuck in that. Uh, that. That is one of the fun things to do. If somebody hasn't been in a side-by-side with tracks on it, you haven't lived, right? Yeah, it is a lot of fun, and the snow bikes are a lot of fun. But, you know, it's a young man's game, and you fall off a snow bike, it's hard to climb back on. Yeah, that's true. For us old guys, I'll I'll take the side-by-side. Thank you very much. Hey, yeah. Roger, it's good to talk to you. Have a great season, and uh, all the best. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing you. All right. Thanks again. That's Roger Eggett with the Bear River Lodge up there. Yeah, the easy way really probably is to go uh, through the uh, through the Evanston side of things, and you don't have to worry about the road whatsoever. Hey, just a reminder that today is the Utah Travel Expo at the uh, Davis County Conference Center, and my buddy um, Bob Grove, who was the uh, well, he was on this show for years and years and years, and of course makes cameos with us. Uh, he's going to be presenting to mo- to this morning at 11 o'clock up there. You'd be one of the presenters this morning at 11 a.m. at the Davis Conference Center at the Utah Travel Expo. So go up and see him. Tell him you heard about it on the show. He'll be glad to lay all the information on you. It's a great way to find out what's going on in the state of Utah as far as travel is concerned. That's going to wrap it up for us on this Saturday morning. I want to thank you for joining me as always. Thanks to all my guests for being here. And um, most importantly, thanks to you for being with us. We'll be along next Saturday morning right here Same time, 8 a.m., 97.5 The Zone. Go enjoy the outdoors. Until then, as always, you have been warned. Goodbye.